All right. Well, um, this morning I was thinking about what to, uh, what to teach on and I was really struggling with it. And so then I was thinking about Thanksgiving and all that we ate and I figured out that maybe I'd just talk about gluttony and, uh, no. Okay. Just joking. Just joking. Um, if there's this scripture that I think God has for us this morning, and I believe that it's going to speak to us in different ways, depending on where you are. And uh, I really just want to uncover it and see what God's got for us this morning. Um, so let's pray that, that God would do that. Holy Spirit, we open ourselves up to you this morning and ask that you would lead us by your word, that you would empower us uh, to hear your word this morning, to see you in our lives, to understand uh, the things that you've been doing and saying. We pray for your guidance. We pray for your wisdom. We pray that you would help us to receive whatever it is that you have for us this morning in Jesus' name. We're going to be reading this morning from uh, John chapter 6. If you've got your Bible, John chapter 6, starting in verse 60. And Jesus has just finished uh, one of his most difficult teachings. He's just finished teaching uh, this challenge on the disciples. At this point, he's got a lot of disciples. Some say hundreds of disciples. People that are following him, that are believing him, that are going around with him. But he gives this, he gives this teaching that kind of draws a line in the sand that begins to separate people that really understand and get the message of Jesus and are really willing uh, to understand and to see what it is that he's teaching. And he's just finished teaching about how he is the bread of life. And not just, you know, hey, the words that I'm teaching are like, it's like bread of life, you'll eat them and they're good. He's not saying that. He's saying, I am the bread of life. I have come down from heaven to be the bread of life. He who comes to me will never be hungry again. He who comes to me will never be thirsty again. He who comes to me, the person of Jesus, not he who subscribes to my philosophy, he who, you know, likes my teaching and abides by them. He's saying he who comes to me, the person of Jesus, he is declaring himself as the savior, as the person that is necessary for his teaching, that you can't separate his teaching from who he is. You, can know, you can't call him a good teacher or a good prophet. And that, I think, is the real challenge that people began to face, is that when he started taught, they're like, well, wait a minute, dude. We knew your parents. You grew up. In Galilee, I know where you used to live. And now you're talking about you came from heaven. I can go with the whole, hey, love your neighbor kind of deal. That was nice. I liked it. But now you're pushing, you're, you're, you're pushing the envelope a little bit. When he makes this statement, he's, he's talking about himself being the divine presence. That he has seen God. He talks about he will judge. He will be the judge that as he's teaching this, that at some point they will be judged and he will be that person. It's, it's very difficult for them to hear. And so dis- disciples begin to fall away, thinking that he's, he's now crossed the line. Don't we know him? Don't we know this guy? Aren't these outrageous claims? And this is where we pick up in verse 60. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? What if you see the son of man ascend to where he was before? This is hard teaching. Who can accept it? I love the way that kind of sounds because it kind of sounds like, hey, it's not me. 
Nobody could accept this. This is craziness. This is crazy. Who could possibly accept this? Literally, it's, it's more of who can even listen to this? Who can even have those words penetrate our, our, our minds? How, who can even listen to these words that are being spoken? It's like they're deferring blame. They're saying, you know what? It doesn't make any sense. It's, it's beyond natural wisdom. It's beyond what we're used to hearing. It's beyond what we've expected. It's beyond the natural, what Jesus is saying. When he is introducing himself, maybe for the first time for some of those disciples, as the person for, for whom which salvation was going to come through. In our natural way of thinking, we can't accept his teaching. In the natural, we can't accept that there has to be a belief in the supernatural. There has to be a belief. There has to be something more than's going on. It, it confounds natural wisdom. The son of a carpenter claiming equality with God, claiming to one day judge the world. But this is the theme of Christianity. This is the theme of Christianity that we, we need a savior, not just a great teacher. We didn't need another prophet. We don't need a warrior to go fight our battles for us, to go and, and release the oppressed, the oppressed. We don't need a guru or a philosopher. We need a savior. This is what we believe as Christians, that we need the person of Jesus Christ, not just his teachings, not just the things that he said. We are saved by the person of Jesus. And he responds, does this offend you? The very question implies that there's something in us. It, it's, it's too humbling. It's our pride that says, no, this offends me. Why does it offend you? Does it offend you that God would choose to become a man? Does it offend you that God would choose to be not just any man, but a man who could relate to anybody? A man that would come from the lowliest of low people, that would come from a, a, a town that nobody cared about. Does that offend you? If so, you're in for it. Because what if you saw the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? When he ascends back to where he was before, it's going to begin at the cross. So you see this foreshadowing. Man, if I'm losing you now, you're in for it. You're in for it. When you see the cross, this is the, this is the theme of Christianity that we need the person of Jesus Christ. We need a savior. And this is where he says something that I think, this is really what I want to get into this morning. In verse 63, he says, right after this, the spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The spirit gives life. Life is to be found in the spirit of God. Life is to be found outside of the natural, outside of your flesh. Your flesh isn't going to get you anything. It profits you nothing, King James people. It, it's, it's not, it's not going to get you what you want. The abundant life that Jesus has been talking about, everybody's like, I can get on board with that. Give me some of that abundant life. I'm all over it. And he's making the point, the spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. You're not going to get there on your own efforts. For some of us, the, again, this confounds natural wisdom. Well, what, I, I think I can earn it. No, no, I think I can do it. I think I can do it. And Jesus is saying, you can't. You can't do it. Your flesh counts for nothing. It's by the spirit. The spirit gives life. It is the spirit 
that leads us to the greatest truths. When we, when we hear Jesus say things and we say, I can't even hear that. I can't even listen to that. My, my brain can't comprehend that. It's by the Spirit that we are led to those great truths. It's a promise of Scripture. It's reminiscent of Jesus talking just a couple chapters earlier with Nicodemus. And he makes the point, look, you've been born of the flesh, but you need to be born of the Spirit. When you follow me, it's like being born again. It's like, it's like you're a whole different creation. Because the Spirit of God comes and the Spirit of God changes everything. You are now born of the Spirit. It's like starting over. It's like it's everything is new. You are a new creation in Him. In our flesh, we, we can't be obedient to what Jesus has talked about. We can't live up to the words of Jesus. We can't li live up to the words of God in our flesh. The only way for us to do it is by the Spirit. And so it's, it's like he's preaching against trying to be obedient in our flesh. If you think about what he's done with the Pharisees, with the teachers of the, of the day, they're ones that have tried to do it without the Spirit. No, no, no. If I just work hard enough, if I just do the right things, if I, I, I can do it, I can do it. And he's saying, you can't. You can't. It's by the Spirit. The Spirit gives life. It's not by the flesh. If you want to find... If you want to find the abundant life that Jesus has, you will find it in being empowered by the Spirit. You will find it by being dependent on the Spirit. Letting the Spirit reign over you. This idea that we would give up the authority of our lives and that we would let God's Spirit reign. This is where we experience abundant life and it will confound the flesh. Nat, you're crazy. You're crazy. You should be out making a buck. You should be out doing whatever. You shouldn't be going to Costa Rica. Who gives a rip about Costa Rica? In the, wis in the, in the natural wisdom. But instead, we say that it's by God's spirit. And God's spirit may speak to us and it will change everything. And if we live by that voice, if we live by the words of God, revealed to us by the spirit of God, we will find abundant life. God's spirit. The promise of scripture is that God's spirit works in us to encourage us to comfort us, to convict us of truth, to lead us to real life-changing truth. The Spirit draws us to himself, testifies to who Jesus is, and the Spirit empowers us. Again, we can't be obedient in our flesh. It's by the Spirit that we can be obedient. So when we read about loving our enemies, when we read about giving up our lives for others, becoming the least, we should aspire to do those things. We should work to do those things, but not by the flesh, but by the spirit. It's recognizing, I can't do it on my own, God. I need you. I need a savior. I don't need good teaching. I don't need a 10-step a, a uh, do-it-yourself kit. I need you, God. I need your spirit to empower me to be able to live up to what I read in scriptures, the words of life that I'm exposed to. That's, that's what I want. I want to be empowered by the spirit of God. All through the Gospels we read, when Jesus goes and he does this or that, it says that he goes in the power of the Spirit. Just like Jesus. Just like Jesus is the anointed one, the Messiah, the one who is anointed with the Holy Spirit. We receive the Holy Spirit through the work of Jesus. We can walk in that same power. To the degree that we allow the Spirit to reign over us, to reign over our lives, is the degree that we find the abundance of life that Jesus is speaking of. That's a harsh statement. 
to the degree that we allow the spirit to reign over us, to reign over our lives is the degree that we find the abundance of life that Jesus is speaking of. The more as we, as we grow in our faith and we give more and more of our life over to the spirit and we let him start to rule over this and let him rule over this, we experience more and more of the abundant life today. I'm not talking about the eternal. We got the eternal. That's awesome. That's great. I'm talking about today, the abundant life when Jesus lived the perfect life. Think about this. Jesus lived the perfect life. He lived life exactly the way it was designed by the creator. This is the way it's been designed to live. He experienced the abundant life that God has designed. If we want that same thing, we live the way Jesus lived, but we can't do it by the flesh. He didn't do it by the flesh. We do it empowered by the spirit of God. Following Christ, doing the things that he's called us is only possible through that empowerment. Today, some of us need to hear this. Some of us have felt the weakness of our flesh. We have felt, I just can't do it anymore. I I know that I should believe this. I know that I should do this, but I, I give up. I'm too weak. Or there's some of us that have said, I don't even, I don't even know what, what God wants, but I certainly couldn't understand it. I can't open the Bible and, 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 and understand that. I, I can't know what it is that God has. This morning, the message for you is that we are empowered by the Spirit of God. Those who call on the name of Jesus are empowered by the Spirit of God. You have that engine in you to be able to to be sanctified, that is to become more and more like the person of Jesus. The next part of that verse, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. So he says, the spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. The things that I've been telling you, the way that I've been talking about life and the way that it's supposed to be lived, the words of God himself They are spirit and they are life. They're not natural. Don't try to understand them in the natural. Anybody can pick up a Bible and read it. Anybody can pick up a Bible and and pick out a, oh, I need to go do this. I need need to to love my neighbor. I need to, to go and to do this or to do that. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that my words are spirit and they are life. That means that there is a dimension to the Bible that that involves the spirit of God. Think about this. Just a little while before, Jesus told the Pharisees, you guys search the scriptures all day long thinking you're going to find life in there. But what you're missing is that the scripture points to the person of Jesus. It points to me. The scripture testifies to me. They were thinking that just in the words themselves that they might find life. But Jesus is making the points that my words, the words of God are spirit and they are life. It is more than what you're going to see in the natural. It's more than what you can understand in your flesh. Jesus was alive in a way that we all want. Jesus was life lived out the way that it was designed. In him was life. It's the way that John described it. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. In a minute, right after Jesus says this, he asks the 12. You can, you know, you can almost sense some frustration. He's like, hey, are you guys going to leave too? He's already lost a bunch. He's saying, hey, what about you guys? Are you going to bail on me too? Was that too hard of a teaching? Are you not willing to accept this? And Peter responds with, well, you have the words of eternal life. 
Peter recognizes these are the words of eternal life. The things that you're saying, they, they're, they're changing me in a supernatural way. They're doing things that, that don't resonate naturally. The Bible contains the words of God, the words of life. Any one of us could crack one at any time. Isn't that crazy to think? I've got like 10 Bibles at home. I've got like 10, I, I'm, I'm not bragging, trust me. <laughs> But think about that. Do I look at it as the words of life sitting on my shelf above my Xbox? You know? They contain the word. I'm not saying that the book by itself is some supernatural book and that you shouldn't put any other books on top of it. That's not what I'm saying. Other people have said that. Okay? What I'm saying is that contained in that word is something that when combined with the spirit of God is powerful. It is spirit and it is life. I remember very clearly. In 1997, um, I read this article that drastically impacted me. For the rest of my life, I've been impacted by the story of these Wycliffe missionaries. Um, Has anybody ever heard of Wycliffe? It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. These people go and translate the Bible into languages that no other Bible translator would touch. Like International Bible Society and these guys, they're never going to translate for a tribe of 150, 200 people. But Wycliffe Bible translators, that's what they'll do. Well, do you know how that happens? People go there and they live their lives with that tribe to be able to do it. So, the story of Jean and Mary Scott. I read this in, in a Christianity Today article. They go to the jungles of Peru as newlyweds. And they show this picture of them. They're young, they're happy, they're smiling. They're going to Peru. Um, In 1958, they spent 40 years translating. And so you're thinking, wow, this is, is, you know, uh, a couple that's over the edge. No, it's what Wycliffe does. That's what they all do is they go and they spend their lives doing what? Understanding that what they do is they, they, they move in with the tribe and they begin to learn the language. In these people groups, they have no documented language. It's not written down. There's no written form of communication at all. So they go in, they learn the language, they document the language, they teach the language back to them so that now they can begin to be literate. Then they translate the Bible. 40 years this couple, and so the article was written as they were flying back with their first batch of New Testaments, 500 of them, because there's only like 150 in the tribe, literally. There's 150 in the village where they were doing their work. So they're going back, they've got 500 New Testaments that they've spent 40 years translating. They show a picture of the guy, he's holding it, and he's super old, 69 years old. Newlywed, on his way out there. Now he's 69 years old, but he has given his life to the word of God because he believes that this contains the words of life. And I remember it struck me, do I believe? Do I believe that the New Testament, that the words of Jesus carries the words of life? Would I be willing to do like like this couple? Do we believe, do I believe this morning that Jesus' words are the words of life? The impact on that tribe was amazing. The story, I have to be another sermon another day, but it's incredible the way that the word of God 
impacted that tribe and how people's lives, people began to find abundance in life. They began to experience life the way that it was designed to be. Took, by the way, it took 25 years, 25 years before they began to see anybody convert and actually become Christian and actually begin to, to accept the spirit of God to change them. 25 years. That's a pretty big commitment. But they believe like Jesus believes that the words contained in that New Testament are the words of life. They are spirit and they are life. The spirit uses scripture to speak to us. This is really evident when you think about, um, when you think about our ministry time. At the end of church, we always have an opportunity. We'll clear out some chairs and people get to come forward and we pray with them. And this is because scripture tells us if you want abundant life, if you want to live life the way it was designed, you should get together and pray for one another. You should agree with one another. You should anoint people that are sick. You should put your hand on them and agree with them in prayer as you go forward to God. And that's why we do it. So we abide by, these, by the words of life. But more than that, what we find is that when the spirit of God moves, a lot of times it is through scripture that we speak over people. I can't tell you how many stories I've heard of someone praying over them and they quote a verse and they speak scripture over that person and it resonates and it changes them and and you don't even understand what you've just said, but for that person, God's spirit just does an incredible thing. The spirit of God comes through the scriptures many times and breaks bondage immediately. People see freedom it breaks through in a way that it hasn't done before. So much so that Paul, Paul at one point, he says, look, you're in for it. You're in for it. You're going to fight battles. And the battles that you're going to fight are going to be rough and they're going to be supernatural. And you're going to need everything that God's given you. And one of the things that, that Paul talks about is the sword of the spirit. The sword, the weapon, the cutting edge against the enemy and the lies that you're going to be exposed to. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. It's having that sword drawn and ready. I love to call my Bible a sword. It's like so cheesy, but I love it. But it's that idea. Now you know why I say that. It's that whole idea that the Bible is the, 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 the cutting edge of what God is doing. And when we, when we, when we do ministry time and we're looking to, to, to break barriers and to break bonds, many times, Prayer ministers will rely on scripture, the words of life, the truth of God revealed to us. Living and active, the writer of Hebrews describes it. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. That is, it brings conviction of truth about the things that we think in our mind and in our heart. There's some of us today that have searched and prayed for God's will. But we've taken the approach, my approach, my approach is the magic eight ball of the Bible, which is the, I really don't have time. So Holy Spirit, speak to me. Oh, Romans two. That's a good one. Rather than seeing them as the words of life, rather than seeing that, you know, I'm going to pray that God's spirit would be with me and that he would speak to me through a regular dose of the words of life, through immersing myself in the words of life, knowing them like, man, every time I think about it, like I should, 
man, I've got too many Bibles. Does anybody want a Bible? I've got all of this scripture around me. I've got the words all around me. And yet, I, I, I just, I can't believe. I mean, it's just, okay. In conclusion, two things. Two things I want you to take away. We're empowered by the spirit of God. We're empowered by the spirit of God. You who claim Christ are empowered by the spirit of God to do the things that Jesus did, to live up to what we read about in scripture about Jesus. You are empowered by the spirit of God. He is the one that sustains us. He's the one that comforts us. He's the one that encourages us. He is the one that makes it possible for us to live up to Jesus. And we are led by the word of God. The word of God leads us and brings us to the abundant life that we all desperately want, that we're desperately seeking. The word of God contains the words of life. And we should be seeking that intimate knowledge of the words of life so that we can experience it more and more. Let's pray. I just ask that God, God would move in, in that, that he would confirm in us uh, his promises. Lord, we are thankful. We're so thankful uh, for your son, uh, for the person of Jesus, for what he, he endured, what he did, what he continues to do for us. God, that he chose to take on uh, the likeness of a servant and the way that he um, served us. We pray right now, God, that we would um, be able to see him the way that he should be seen, that we would be able to See him in a spiritual way, not just as a teacher, Lord, but as our savior, as the one who's done everything. And we pray, God, that you would lead us by your spirit, by your words. God, that we would be empowered, that we would be able to break through with these struggles that we've come up against time and time again. We pray that your spirit would empower us and your word would lead us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now is the time for us to respond. It's a time for us to be able to come forward and do exactly what the Bible talks about. So we're going to clear out the first uh, three rows of chairs. And I would ask, if you're a prayer minister with River City Church, if you would come forward and help pray. And if you are here and anything has spoken to you, you feel like God has something uh, that, that you want somebody to pray with you about, please come forward. Nothing spooky, nothing crazy is going to happen. Somebody may put their hand on your shoulder and just agree with whatever it is that God's doing. You don't have to say a word. You don't have to say a thing. Just come forward. Hold your hands out like you're receiving a gift. Hold your hands out like you're, I'm God, I, I'm ready. I want to hear. There's an expectation, God, that you're here, that you're going to show up. Prayer ministers, if you could kind of Fill in the, the, the space here. And I'll just pray. Guys, fill in the space a little. Let me pray for us. God, we pray that your spirit would come right now, that you would minister, that you would use uh, this time to continue your ministry, to speak to people, to encourage them, Lord, to help sanctify them, to become more and more like you. We pray for revelation. We pray for great empowerment by your spirit this morning.